Last week, we began a series on heaven. We're calling it The Good Place. And, and one, of, one of the things that we said last week was that, that what we live toward in our lives is what we look forward to in our lives. What, the things that you, you live for, uh, toward, you look forward to the most. Some of us look toward vacation, and because of that, we live toward those things. And so the things that you look, uh, live toward, you look forward to. And one of the challenges when it comes to heaven is, is that not that we don't think often enough about heaven, but that we don't think enough of heaven. That we don't think highly enough of heaven. We talked about this last week that our picture that we have of heaven, it isn't very inspiring. It's certainly not inspiring enough to draw us in and to lead us toward and impact our life enough to cause us to want to live towards heaven, towards the realities of heaven. And that's one of the main aims that I have in this series is to help us understand how our picture of heaven impacts how we live our lives on earth. That how we view what the realities of heaven, it will, actually, it will absolutely determine how we live in this life. And if you were here with us last week, uh, we, we talked about Jesus and how he talked about heaven. And he talked about heaven in at least three different, in three different ways, three different realities of heaven. And we looked at three different conversations that he had. And in terms of realities of heaven, he talked about heaven as being now in another place. That, that's the, the present heaven. He, he talked about heaven here at another time, and that's, that's the, the future eternal heaven. And then he talked about how we can experience heaven here and now in another way, and, and that's how we sort of participate in heaven now on, on earth. And Jesus, as we said, was speaking in terms, uh, though, that we don't really think about. He, he, he was talking uh, in terms of life that we don't think about. We think of life and death or, or this life and, and the afterlife. But in, in that day and age, in that context, they thought about time in ages. Time was more than just this life. It was, it was ages for them. It was, when they thought about time, it wasn't just connected to this life. It was connected to their, to their ancestors and to their traditions and to all the history that they had with them. And so they thought uh, in terms of this age, and then the age to come. In fact, if you go through the scriptures, you'll find that Jesus and all of the Old Testament writers and the New Testament writers, they all talked about time in terms of this age and the age to come. And in this age, there is the, the present heaven and the present earth. There's, there's these two present heavens and present earth, and they're separated. They're, they're not together, right? They're, there's the present heaven, which we can, we can sort of see. We can look up to the sky, and we can see the heavens. But, but it's even more than that. It's what's above the sky. And then there's the present earth, and that's obviously that's where we're at. It's, it's here. It's what we're a part of. But then there's the, the, the age to come, and, and that's going to be a new heaven and a new earth, and they're going to they're come together. They're, instead of being separate, they're, they're no go, longer going to be separate. They're going to be one, and it's going to be here on earth. And, and let me tell you, next week we're going to spend all of our time talking about that next week, the, the age to come. But today I want to talk about this age now. And, and here's the thing about, about this age. When, when we're talking about this age and the age to come, in, in this age there's a, there's a present heaven, and we poked some fun at this last week, uh, you know, just talking about our picture of heaven, and, and to put it mildly, our picture of heaven is, is suspect at best, right? We, we think about gates, and we think about clouds, and we think about stairways, and mansions, and, and there's all of that kind of stuff that, that we think about in our picture of heaven. But there's also present earth, and, and there's a relationship between heaven and earth, right? There's a, there's a relationship between those two things, but the scriptures talk about that there's a realm, there, there's a seen realm, and, and that would be present heaven and present earth. But there's also 
an unseen realm. And when we talk about unseen realms, uh, immediately I know people get kind of nervous about that. Like, we, we're like, oh, we're talking about, you know, witchcraft and that kind of stuff. And, and we're not. We're not. It's not talking about any of that. But we are talking about spiritual warfare. And, and there's this seen realm and there's this unseen realm. And, and so the unseen realm, that, the, the, the seen realm, that's present heaven, present earth. But the unseen realm, that's heaven above what we have right now, what we can see right now, the future heaven, but there's also this other side of the unseen realm that I know makes people uncomfortable, but we're talking about in terms of, in terms of hell. And we're going to get to that in a few minutes today, probably not the way that you think, but, but I want to start with the present heaven. And we're going to talk about that for a few minutes. We're not going to major in it because there's a lot of overlap between what we're going to experience in the present heaven and then in the future eternal heaven. And next week when we talk about, uh, when we talk about that, I'm going to unpack several scriptures that, that really talk about what our experience will be like, what, what we can look forward to and, and what we really should look forward to in the realities of, of heaven. But today as we're talking about this, as we're talking about heaven, I, I just got to tell you, last week I said, you know, at the end of the sermon, I said, we're going to talk about what happens when you die. Uh, we're going to talk about that next week. And as uh, I was standing out back, out toward by the doors, uh, a person walked up to me and they said, hey, I really think that it's great that you're talking about heaven. And uh, it, that's a really tough subject to, to, to take on. And I thought maybe they were thinking about, you know, just there's controversies. There's a lot of different opinions and viewpoints about what heaven's going to be like and that kind of stuff. And, and I said, well, thanks. I, it, it's, it's, you know, we'll figure it out. And he said, no, no, no. I just think it's really early in the day to remind people that they're going to die. And I thought, yeah, that's supposed to be encouraging, right? But we are going to die, right? That's the reality. And the reality is, is that in Scriptures, they, they say that for those people who believe in Jesus, they're going to go to a present heaven. And we get a glimpse of that in Revelation chapter 6. Uh, John gives us one of the best glimpses of heaven in Revelation 6 that, that I think we can get. And when you read it, and, and we're going to look at it here in just a moment, but when you read it, you've got to remember his context. You've got to read it through his context. You've got to read it through the lens of what he's experiencing so that you get a, an accurate picture of heaven. Because John's context in this point in his life is he's mourning the loss of his friends. This is, this is late in his life, and John was one of the twelve apostles. He's one of the twelve closest followers of Jesus. And all of his other friends, the other followers of Jesus, many of them had given their life for the message of Jesus. They had become martyrs for what they believed. And John's dealing with this difficulty of this, you know, this just, it isn't right, you know, and, and, and we're trying to follow you, God, and I'm trying to live my life for you. And this is, this is what happens to me. And remember, John is living on an island. He's been exiled to an island when he, when he writes the book of Revelation because of his faith in Christ. The Roman emperor had tried to kill him, and when that didn't work, he just sent him off to an island and thought, well, he'll die there. That didn't work either. But, but John is, is dealing with this, and that's kind of his, his context. That's what he's going through. And so God gives John a vision of heaven in Revelation 6, and it's sort of just a peek into to heaven. And this is what it says, and it's a vision. And so I don't know if he was awake or if he was asleep, but, but God gives him this picture of heaven, and, and John wrote it down. It, here's what he says. Romans, uh, Revelation 6, 9, he says, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain. These are his friends. These are the ones that, that had been martyred for their, for their faith. He said, others who had, because of the word of God and their testimony, had had maintained. They, they were killed for their faith. They were martyred. And then he says, he says, they called out in a loud voice, how long, sovereign Lord, 
holy and truly until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood. How long? How long? Because what was done to us was wrong. So how long is it going to take for you to do something about that? There's even some learning in this, isn't it? It's like, how do do we deal with, with stuff? How do we deal with tough things when you're going through it? And you think, God, why aren't you doing something about this? Because there are still people suffering, right? And this was John's plight. This was, this was his plight in life right now. He's still suffering. But he sees this in the vision, and the vision continues. It says, Then each of them was given a white robe, and they were told that they were to wait a little longer. So God clothes them, and he says, Hey, I, I want you to know everything's going to be okay. I'm clothing you in my righteousness. I, I want you to know that I accept you. But I also need you to know that I just need you to wait just a little longer. I'm, I'm going to be patient, God said. I'm going to be patient because my desire is that nobody would perish. My desire is that none would perish. And so I'm going to be patient a little longer. In fact, I'm even going to wait, it says, until the full number of their fellow servants, their, their brothers and sisters, were killed just as they had been. God gives John this vision of heaven, and these souls are talking, and, and God responds. He says, look, there's more that's going to have to be sacrificed, unfortunately. But, but that's the way of Jesus, isn't it? It involves sacrifice in this life. But, but what we sacrifice for, for, for what is what we have coming for us. And th- this is the picture uh, of what you have ahead of you. you know, the, there's a heaven, there's a, a great thing ahead of you. And in the grand scheme of things, what you have to sacrifice in this life, even if it is your life, is not that big of a sacrifice. In the grand scheme of things, I know that sounds harsh to say, right? It sounds hard to say that, hey, if you give up your life, well, it's not really that big of a sacrifice. And, and, and so please don't, don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm saying in the grand scheme of things, it, what, what awaits us in eternity is far better than what we have in this life. And so if, if God's call on our life is to give up our life, then we should do so gladly and willingly because what we're giving up is nothing compared to what awaits us. And that's what God is trying to, to, to tell John in this. God gives John this vision of heaven and these souls are talking and, and he just says, hey, there's going to have to be more sacrificed. It's, it's like uh, we talked about last week with the $100. Do you remember that? Uh, we talked about the $100. And what's $100 if you have an unlimited amount of money? nothing right you you give it away you just give it away what's a hundred dollars and so what's what's life if you have an unlimited amount of life and and that's what that's what God is letting John know and John acknowledges because of that there's at least three things that we can look forward to and again this is just a partial comparison with with what we're going to look at next week but but he said look you're going to go to a physical place you're going to go to a physical place the evidence that he said uh is that he said he saw souls and there was an altar there, and there, there were loud voices, which shows vocal cords, and, and, and there's these white robes. You're going to go to a physical place. And that's important to remember, because we oftentimes get this idea that physical is bad. That, that spiritual is good, physical is bad, and they, they, they can't be together. And, and so we think, you know, we're going to be removed from our bodies because our physical bodies are bad, and heaven is only spiritual. But that's not what Scripture teaches. Think about it. Think about it. Physical and spiritual can't be opposed to each other they can't be and this is kind of a new age thought but but they can't be opposed to each other because if if physical is always bad and spiritual is only ever good then jesus could have never inhabited a human body we believe that that jesus was fully god right that he is he is god the son 
right? There's God the Father, and then there's God the Son. Jesus is fully Son. He's fully God, but He was also fully human. So if physical is bad, then God could have never inhabited a human body. And that body that Jesus took over, it, it, was, it was sacrificed for our sins, but it was raised from the dead. And then that same body that raised from the dead ascended into heaven. So there's at least one body in heaven. Like We know that. There's at least one body in heaven. So there's going to be a physical place that we go to. And we're going to have certain knowledge in this place. He, John said he saw, that, he saw that people who were slain for their testimony, and they asked questions. They asked, how long, right? They're, they're seeking to gain some knowledge. How long until you're going to judge? How long is this going to last? How long until till the age to come is, is, is here? That's what they're asking. You know, we're in this age, and there's these struggles between the present heaven and the present earth. There's these competing values on earth, and there's the struggle of how long is this going to last? How long until the age to come gets here? And so John inquired about things on earth, and apparently they don't know everything in, in heaven. You're going to know some things, but, but they don't know everything because they're asking questions, and they're aware of this, and so they're seeking answers. And they're aware of things that are happening on earth. And some of that is because they're talking with God, right? And, but just imagine this, just think practically about, this, about these things though. I mean, imagine you're in heaven and there are there, thousands of people die every day, right? And so thousands of people every day are coming into heaven. And so they're bringing the, the information from earth with them. If they remember, right? And you think, well, how do we know if they remember? Well, what scripture tells us? That we're going to have to give an account for our lives, right? We're going to have to, one day, we're going to have to give an account for everything that we've done. And how do you give an account for something for your life if you don't remember anything? You have to remember, right? And so there's going to be knowledge there. And then we're going to be participating in the present heaven. Amongst other things, one of the things that we're going to be doing is cheering people on. And this, I think, is one of my favorite things. We learned this in Hebrews chapter 12. But we're going to be cheering people on that are still on earth. So you know, you realize what that means for us right now, though. That means that there are people in heaven who are cheering us on. That they are, they are cheering for us. That they're, they're wanting us to continue to be faithful. And they're just like, hey, you got this. You got this. Um, anybody ever run a mini marathon or a marathon or anything like that? Um, one of the great things about those events, and, and if there can be a great thing about running 13 miles or 26 miles. Um, one of the great things is that people will line the streets and they just cheer you on. People you've never met and you will never see again. And they cheer you on. And they, they, they press you toward the finish line. And I think that's what's going on in heaven right now. That people are cheering us on. They're just keep being faithful. Keep going. You've got this. Keep running. Keep moving toward the end. And so they're cheering us on. And beyond that, they're interceding for us. And they're just saying, keep being faithful. And they're anticipating they're waiting and they're anticipating and it's talked about, it talks about with their brothers and sisters. They're enjoying that, that family that they've reconnected with. There's a strong familial connection uh, and description in the scriptures of what we'll experience in heaven. And so if we take these things and uh, combine with what we know from other scriptures that talk, talk about the present heaven, I think here's a summary of what we have to look forward to of what happens when we die. We look forward to a, a separation of our body and our soul. Which for some of us is you're going, well, I, I like my body. I've worked really hard to stay in shape and, and I, I like my body. I think my body's pretty good. Most of us, and we're aging by the way, uh, we're going, I would really like a new body. 
In fact, I would take a new body. I mean, somebody save me from this body. I wasn't planning to tell this, but I will anyway. Um, so in a couple of weeks, I'm going down to North Carolina to umpire. And uh, this uh, uh, specific event, they, they mailed us umpiring pants uh, because it's a certain brand. It's got a sponsored logo on it that we have to wear. And, and that's what they want. And so these, you think they're umpire pants. They all run the same size, right? They're, they're, they don't. Um, I got mine in the mail this week, and they're the same size in the waist that I wear in all my other pants. And I went to try them on. I was like, oh, I need to go run. And so I did. I tried on my pants, and then I went and ran two miles because I thought there's no way I'm going to fit in these pants in a couple of weeks. Uh, luckily, they said uh, there was a, a large text that went out, and like everybody said, our pants don't fit. And so it wasn't just my issue, um, but it was an issue. <laughs> So, so there's this, this separation of our body and our soul. There, there's a relocation of that soul to heaven, to, to the physical place of heaven. There, there's a liberation of that soul from sin and from the brokenness of the world and from the oppression and, and, and just the physical struggles that we have here in this world. We, we're, we're able to be free of all that. We're no longer trapped by all that brokenness and, and the hurt and the depression and the anxiety and the anger of all those things. I'm telling you, I can't wait for that. I cannot wait for, for all of that to be gone. We're liberated from those things. There's a, a, a reconnection with loved ones. And, and that reunion of, of, you know, I've missed this person for so long. And, and, and I think that's something that all of us really look forward to. Just, I think that's something we look forward to as we move from this life to the next. But then this, and this might be the most important one, is that there's a satisfaction in God's presence. There's a satisfaction in God's presence. You and I are going to find ultimate fulfillment and final satisfaction for all the longings on the inside as we struggle physically and as we're wrestling spiritually and as we're longing internally. This is what is ahead of us. This is what you experience. And again, there's so much more, and we're going to talk about it next week. Don't miss next week because there's so much more in the future eternal heaven. But the truth is, is that this is not something that we should fear. A lot of people, even Christians that we know, they fear death. And they fear death because they don't know what awaits them in death. They don't know that what's going to happen. And I'm telling you, this is the stuff that we have to look forward to. This is what happens when you die. You don't have to fear this. In fact, I think this is why the first century, they had, I think they had a really good grasp on this. And I think this is why they referred to death as sleep. You read in the New Testament, you never read about somebody dying. You always read about them falling asleep. They, they fell asleep. And I love that analogy because it's just kind of like, hey, I'm going to go to sleep. And then when I wake up, I'm going to be in this place where I've experienced a liberation and a reconnection with people and a satisfaction with God. Now, with all of that in mind, with all of this in mind and what we've talked about so far, and I want to take us back to what Paul said last week. We stopped partway through what Paul, through Paul's thought in Colossians, in Colossians chapter 3. And, and so and here's, here's what he said. He said, since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. You and I have, we've been given this new life and this new life is not just for this life and not just for this world, but it's, it's, for, it's not just for this age, but it's for the age to come. You, you've been given your life, you've been raised to a new life, uh, a newness of life that will never die. Your, your soul will never die. You, you will experience life everlasting, which is not just a quality of life, but it's also a length of life. That's what you've been given. That's what you've been raised to as you're 
baptized into Christ, that's what you're raised to. We, when we baptize people, we always say, and raised the newness of life. That's what we're talking about. And so here's what, what Paul says. He says, think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. Because if you think about the things of earth, you'll get depressed, right? It's, it's depressing. Think of things uh, 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 of heaven, not of earth, for you die to this life. You die to this world. You die to this age. And Paul says, in your real life, that is hidden with Christ in God. John, John, is said, John, go back to him for a moment. He says, there's all this suffering and, and people are being martyred. And, and, and there's the, you know, this is what I'm dealing with and how do I deal with that? And I think Paul, if he were writing to John, his encouragement would be, John, remember, you died to this life. You died to this life. So who cares if you die or if you're martyred? We don't have to worry about that. We don't have to be fearful of this because, because this is not the life that we have to look forward to. We're looking forward to a life in the age to come. Paul would say there's so much more. You've been promised a new life and you need, you need to think about that life and the realities of heaven because you're going to be, ra- because you're going to be raised. In, and when you're raised with Christ who is your life is revealed to the whole world, what's it say? It says you will share in His glory. In the age to come when Christ comes back and he, and he connects the new heaven and the new earth together, you're going to share in that reality. You're going to share in, in, in those realities of heaven. So set your sights on the realities of heaven. And when you set your sights on the realities of heaven, guess what happens? You begin living in that direction. You begin living toward that. And so how do you do that? Well, Paul tells us, he goes on to unpack how we experience those things, how we experience heaven, how we even get a little bit of a taste of heaven now on earth. So he says this, he says, so put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. Put to death the sinful earthly uh, nature that's, that's within inside of us. And then he gets intensely personal. He says, have nothing to do with sexual impurity, immorality or impurity, lust and evil desires. You know that, that when you look and you look and you look again and you look at what you shouldn't, and you set your sights on things that you shouldn't set your sights on. Paul's saying when you set your sights on those things, you aim way too low. You're aiming at earthly things. You, you aim at earthly things that are affected by the, by the forces of brokenness and by the forces of darkness. You settle for a distorted, perverted version, for a counterfeit version of what you truly desire, of that true intimacy that God has created you for. God has given us a, a design and instructions on, on how we experience that. And it's through fidelity and monogamy and purity. And he says, this is, this is about how you experience heaven on earth. This is how you do that. And Paul says, look, that, that stuff, that stuff it's gonna, all that sexual immorality and all the things that he says, he says, that's going to bring all sorts of brokenness into your life. So you've got to get rid of that stuff. You've you got to get rid of it. You've you got to stay away from it. And then he says, not only that, but he says, but don't be a greedy person. They're, they're an idolater and they're, they're worshiping the things of the world. It's funny. Nobody thinks they're a greedy person, do they? Nobody, you never hear anybody say, oh yeah, I'm a greedy person. Nobody ever thinks they're a greedy person. Everybody thinks, oh, I'm generous, I give, right? I, I, I help things, I don't, I don't live for money. No one thinks they're greedy, but it's interesting that he puts this in the context of worship. And there's a reason, by the way, why we call it the almighty dollar, isn't it? The reason is because many of us, we put our hope in it. We put our trust in it. We find our worth in it. We spend our lives working for it because some of us, we are, we are enslaved to it because we need more of it to pay off the debts that we've created for ourselves. Scripture actually says that the, the borrower is slave to the lender. So we're indebted to it and oftentimes it becomes our hope and it becomes our happiness. We depend on it. That's worship. 
That's serving something. C.S. Lewis said it this way. He said, prosperity knits a man to the world he feels that he's finding his place in, while really it's finding its place in him. The pursuit of prosperity, it actually knits us to this world. And Paul says, look, you used to do those things when your life was still a part of this world. You, you were focused on pursuing pleasure at whatever cost. It didn't matter to you. You, you want to experience pleasure in this life and you want to experience prosperity in this life. That, that's what you used to do when you were still living in this world, when you were still living for this life. But he says, but now is the time to get rid of, of that. Now is the time to get rid of anger and rage and malicious behavior and slander and dirty language. He says, don't lie to each other for, for you have stripped off your old sinful nature and all of its wicked deeds. When you give your life to Christ, when you're raised to newness in life, this is what you're doing. You're stripping off all of that old sinful nature. But Paul says, these are the things that, that we do to gain, tain, to, to gain and maintain power in this life. And so what he's saying is, whether, whether you realize it or not, whether you want to admit it or not, whether you care or not, there's something on the inside of you, that, there's a sinful nature that's taken, and there's a struggle that's taken place. That, that sinful nature is going to cost you uh, is all sorts of things. The, the, excuse me. That, that sinful nature is going to cause us to want to pursue pleasure and prosperity and power. Because the promise of those things, the promise of those things is that, that those things will, will fulfill us, that those things will satisfy us, that those are the things that we should really be pursuing in this life. If you want to make it in this world, then these are the things that you need to go after. Pleasure and prosperity and power. And Paul's going, look, this, these are the things that you're chasing after in this life. But you need to remember, these are things that have been promised to you already. These are things that have been promised to you already. And it, it's your reality in heaven. It, it, and that, fi that final satisfaction that you're going to experience in paradise, in, in heaven, it, this is what awaits you. You don't, have to, you don't have to pursue that now. You don't have to go after that now. You don't have to clamor for that right now. And I'm just going to tell you, if you don't believe that there's a heaven and you don't believe that there's a hell and you think that this is your one shot at life, then, then by all means go after those things. But if you're a believer in Christ, if you believe that there's something that awaits, that there's an age to come, that there's a heaven that awaits us. And we don't have to pursue these things because I'm telling you, the, the pursuit of those things leads to brokenness and death and destruction. And Paul says in contrast, he says after, after talking about that, he says, instead put your, your new nature, put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your Creator and become like Him. As, as you learn to know who God is and what God says and what God wants for you and, and how He instructs you to lead your life, as you, as you get to know your Creator, guess what happens? You'll become like Him. Which is, is something that happens between fathers and their children, right? As, as children get to know their dads and they watch their dad, they begin to imitate their dad. They begin to imitate their mannerisms and, and their stuff. My dad's here today and, and I find myself oftentimes saying things that I heard him say when, when he was my age. And I, and I remember the first time it happened, uh, I was fussing at Noah and Eli about something and I, I said something and when, he, when I said it, as the minute it happened, I looked at Christian and said, oh, that was Mark Hale. I, I started becoming more like him. And, and, and Paul is saying, when you put on your new nature, you put this new nature on when you die to old and you become new. You, you spend time with God. You get to know God. You become like God. This is a legitimate path to be like God. Paul goes on. He says, here's how you do that. If you want to be like God, here's how you do that. You make allowances for each other's faults. 
Ooh, we don't like that, do we? He says, you forgive anyone who offends you. Catch what he said there. Forgive anyone who offends you. Not just the people that you kind of get along with. Not just family and friends that you, ha- that you have to live with. He says, forgive anyone who offends you. That person that cut you off in traffic that you're never going to see again, that you maybe gave a, a one-finger salute to, and, and that you had a few other things to say about, right? Forgive that person. Because he says, remember, the Lord forgave you. This is why we forgive anyone. Because remember, the Lord forgave you, and He freed you, so you must forgive other people. Because nobody's going to offend you as much as we have offended God. It's not possible. We cannot offend, be offended any more than what we have already offended God. So God says, I have forgiven you, so you forgive just as I have. Which in our culture would be incredible, wouldn't it? Because it would just create this massive anti-cancel culture, wouldn't it? I mean, we live right now in the cancel culture age where, where people that maybe said something 30 years ago, it's coming out and, and like you just you can't have anything to do with them, right? You, you just got to cancel them. Um, and, and if we live this way, I mean, we talk about making room for other people's faults and forgiving anyone. That's the exact opposite of cancel culture in our world. In fact, it's an ultra-grace culture. Imagine what our, just, we don't even have to think big picture. Just think about what Hardin County and the surrounding counties would be like. I mean, if you want to think a little bigger, think about what our state would be like if we lived that way. If there were just a group of people that said, hey, we're going to live in an ultra-grace culture. Where, hey, we're not going to let people walk all over us, but hey, we're going to make room for your faults. All right? And, and remember, faults are things that people do wrong, not things that you necessarily think wrong. Just because somebody thinks politically different than you does not make them at fault. Okay? We've got we to remember these things. But what would happen if we said we're going to make room for, for other people's faults and we're going to forgive? We're going to forgive other people because we've been forgiven. We're just going to live in this, this ultra-grace culture. And so but then Paul goes on, he says, Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. If we're going to live in this ultra-grace culture, the, the chief number one thing has got to be love. The chief number one thing is love. And if we love each other, it will bind us together. It will, it will unite us in perfect harmony. And then he says, and let the peace that comes from Christ to rule in our hearts. Paul is saying there are two opposing forces. There's an opposing force to that old sinful nature, and it's a new nature. And in this new nature, you've been freed in Christ. You've been given this life in this new, na- new nature. In this new nature, above everything else, is love. And it creates a culture of radical grace. It's a culture that sets its mind and its focus and its peace, not on conflict, but on unity. It's about bringing people together. And this new nature, it sets its sights on those types of things and it actually points us toward the realities of heaven because that's the order of heaven. When Paul says, let the peace that, that, that comes from Christ rule in your hearts, that, that word rule, it's governance language. This is about, about who governs your life. Paul is saying, what, what is governing your life? Who is governing your life? And he says, you know, there's, there's two forces there's that new nature and the sinful nature. And these two forces, Paul would say in Galatians chapter 5, and you can look it up later, uh, but there, there are two forces that, that are fighting against each other. They're opposed to each other. And they're currently at work fighting for you. 
They're, they're working on you. It's where we get this, uh, this idea and culture about the, the angel that sits on one shoulder and, and the devil that sits on the other shoulder. That, that's what this is. It's, it's a new nature and, and, and a sinful nature. There's, there's these two forces that are in this unseen world. And they're, and they're battling for you. And you are in the midst of an unseen world. And, and the sinful nature is trying to get you to, to self-govern. To self-govern your life, to move out of, of God's governance, going, going, hey, I'm just going to do what feels right for me. And we hear that all the time in our culture, right? Hey, you just be you. You just do you. You just be you. You, you do what makes you happy. You do what's right for you. No, 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 no. Right? That, that's, what we, that's what we hear all the time. That's how we want to live. But I'm just telling you, if, if, we, if we do that, if we decide that that's how we're going to live, it leads to chaos and death and destruction in our lives. Paul said, though, there's a new nature. In Christ, you can lean into it. You, you can pursue life and love and grace and peace. You can pursue a different set of things. And, and it comes by surrendering. Not by taking, but by surrendering control of your life. Putting, putting on this new nature is not about, about taking control or gaining control or ruling your own life. It's about going, I'm going to surrender my life because this isn't even my life anymore. I was raised to a new life. This life, it doesn't mean anything for me. What, what I look forward to in this life is nothing compared to what awaits me so I can give up this life because of what is awaiting in the next life. I can pursue love and grace and peace. And when you pursue those things, you know what it does? It sets your sights on the realities of heaven. And you begin to live toward, those, toward, toward, toward that. What, what you live toward, you look forward to. And as you live toward heaven, you begin to look forward to heaven. And so we have to make this choice. And you know we make this choice every day? You and I, we make this choice every day. Uh, we, we make choices that either bring the order of heaven down into our lives or bring the chaos and destruction of hell up into our lives. Everything is spiritual. Everything is spiritual. Hear me on this. The decisions you make about your sexuality, the decisions you make about your finances, the decisions you make about your careers and your relationships, the stories that you're going to tell, the excuses you're going to make, the, the things you're going to prioritize, how you spend your time and your money, all of those things are spiritual. You make decisions every day that are, governed by the, that are either going to be governed by your own rule or by the authority of heaven. And when you do that, you either bring down the goodness and the order and the grace of heaven in, into your life, or you bring the chaos and destruction and death of hell up into your life. Paul says, whatever you set your sights on is the ruler of our lives. So, he says, set your sights on the realities of heaven and what's ahead of, and what's ahead of you, because living under the authority and the governance of heaven in God's created order, it brings goodness and glory, and, and it, it, it brings well-meaning and purpose into this life. In part, not in fullness, but in part, it gives us a little bit of a taste of what heaven is going to be like, but not just for us, but also for the people around us. And that might be even the most important thing. And when you choose to try to live outside the governance uh, of, of God's authority, you, you, you lean into your sinful nature. You choose your own authority. You, you, you pull the chaos and the brokenness of hell into your life. And this is what you need to know, and we talked about this last week, what, what you look forward to, you live toward, and you experience more of in your life. And so you look forward to these things and you experience not, not what this is promising, but you experience the consequences of that, right? And, and this is the opposite of, of do that. It's bad for you. But, but here's what you need to know. It's not just bad for you. It impacts people around you. The way that you live, the way that we live, our, the way that we live our lives, it's a billboard for the ultimate hope that we have as Christians. 
It is a billboard for the ultimate hope that we have as Christians. You, you know, as, as we live in our world, in our community, in front of the next generation, the generation that we're going to be praying for as they go back to school, what do they think we've placed our hope in? What, what do they see us chasing after? What, what do they think is most important in our lives? Too many of us aren't looking forward to the realities of heaven and what's been promised to us. But more instead of, of just the things of this world, we're looking more, more forward to promotion or vacation or retirement in such a way that, that we don't actually put the, the realities of heaven on display for, all, for us and for all the people around us. Here's what I want to challenge you to do. I want to challenge you to live in such a way that, that you say, you know what, I can make this sacrifice. I can make the sacrifice of this life and live in such a way that, that, that people will know that, that I'm not only anticipating and, and appreciating, but I am fixating my life on what is to come. What's to come in the next age. Because this life isn't all that there is. What you live toward you look forward to. What are, you, what are you living toward? What are you looking forward to? You live toward the realities of heaven by surrendering your life to God. You want to live toward heaven? You want to look forward to heaven? It starts by surrendering to God. Not taking your own control, but giving up control so that you can pursue love and grace and peace. Let me pray for you.